Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Kia ora, Catherine. Are you keeping warm today? It's keeping warm. Very cold this morning. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, I've come back from New Zealand in the thick of summer to Tokyo and it's very cold here. Yeah. Looking at my temperature, it's minus two here at 11 a.m. That is a pretty much a record, I think, for cold weather here in this part of Fukushima. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that in the wow. 20 years I've been here. So, yeah, and I think for Tokyo too, right? Yes, they were very proud to announce on the TV that it was minus 2.9 earlier in the morning. And then when I was up watching it, it was minus 2.3. I don't know that I've actually had a minus at the front of a weather forecast mm. at that time in the morning. It was supposed to snow last night too, Jane, and it yeah. didn't in Tokyo. I think everyone was sort of geared up for that and it didn't happen, but yeah, uh, it is chilly. It is chilly. Yes, we were geared up for snow as well. We actually had some and we had about less than one centimeter on the ground outside last night and I thought oh that'll be there in the morning because it's so cold but then I think it was the roaring wind that we had last night and we woke up and there's not a snowflake to be seen <laughs> my oh, kids were so disappointed that's a shame it's mm. kind of fluffy snow though too isn't it? it's not wet It'll snow like away. you get in New Zealand oh, blew away yeah probably makes, yeah mm, yeah and so I asked my mother-in-law how's things down your part of Japan because they live on the sea of Japan get a lot more snow mm. and she sent me this picture and she said oh we've got about 20 centimeters and oh. they live right on the sea so wow that's quite a bit and she said, oh, the elementary school, the primary school is closed today. And so I sent this picture on to my husband and said, oh, your, your old school was closed this morning. And he's like, what? When I was a kid, we used to walk to school in 50 centimeters of snow. <laughs> and it's like, it's a good two kilometer or more walk to get to Ooh. school in the snow. It was no days off school back in the old days. But yeah, they closed Those the school. <laughs> In my Today. day, remember those? Always told in my day, I'd in get on a day. bicycle and my yeah, knees would freeze up and I'd have to go to school. That's my dad. Ah, oh, those are just, uh, hasn't times changed? Yep. I mean, think about it. We've just a bit of a softer generation maybe now with mm. this way that we treat ourselves in the weather. I don't know, but Japaners mm. get so frantic about the snow, don't they? Oh, they love a good snow drama on the on the news. Oh. It makes hours and hours of TV. It's great, especially when you have to fill all the hours of all the channels with Japanese content every day. So, exactly. yeah. So I remember typhoons, right? Go home, stay indoors, don't go out. And I remember there was one invite to go to a cherry blossom viewing uh, on the night of a of a storm and I just started with a new company and I said no 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 I can't go because I've been told to go home and mm. we have to stay in and if I went out I'd be a naughty lawyer who's gone out and mm, broken a the naughty compliance. employee not <laughs> following the company's rules yes. and I missed the uh, beautiful cherry blossom and it wasn't quite what it was you know going mm. to be in the terms of the strength of the wind so mm. you know mm. I get it but I don't get it I don't understand yeah. it's mm. overhyped let's just be accurate on that <laughs> But it does mean when that little snow comes in very quickly at the end of January and beginning of February, spring is really just around the corner and I really feel it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the cherry blossom forecast is out. People are booking their trips to Tokyo, getting ready to come and enjoy it this season. Who knows when it will actually be. So my top advice for people coming from outside Japan is Book yourself to Japan and your first couple of days after that, and then maybe just be really flexible about what you're doing after that. Because I have heard so many stories, people coming and they've got their plan all sorted and all their accommodation mm. booked. And then they get here and the cherry blossoms are not blooming where they're going. It's either already finished or it hasn't happened yet. And they miss out. Such when, good yeah. advice, Jane. Mm. I know that I think it's, March 25, 26 is when full bloom is supposed to be in Tokyo, for example, but it might not happen. Mm. I mean, it's cold now. It might Depends mean that they come out a bit between earlier. now and March, right? Yeah. It'll be super flexible. You are just spot on there with the advice. Well, all of this talk about weather and then satellites leads us to our topic for today. Space, exactly. the yes. final frontier. We have got a really interesting guest today because it's Professor Aglietti or commonly and colloquially and friendly 
way of calling him is G. He likes mm. to be called G. So G is director of the Space Institute up at Auckland University. And he is talking today about satellites and the collaboration that is happening between Japan and New Zealand in this area. He's got a wealth of information and really interesting factoids that I didn't know about space and the collaborations that are happening there. Uh, we actually got to meet him in Japan too, Jane. We did. He made it to Japan for the conference down in Beppu, which we've talked a little bit about on other episodes. And we had a fantastic time. As you will hear, he is such a great character in person as well as online. Please enjoy listening to all of this information about space, but also about planning for your trip to Japan. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Great to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here with you. All righty. We like to start off with a warm-up question. So today the question is, you have just landed in Japan. What is the first thing on your to-do list? <laughs> well, I haven't prepared my to-do list yet because there yeah. are three days before I arrive there. So I think oh, I'll, yeah. usually I tend to leave certain things for the last minute. <laughs> however, however, I spoke with at the last conference where I was uh, in Paris, I met some Japanese guys. And when I told them that I was going to Beppu, they told me, absolutely, you have to go in the baths, the, the steaming yes. baths, something. And, and they told me it's, yeah. it's absolutely the experience that you have to do. So actually, yes. That thing is in my list. <laughs> Excellent. A hot spring is a definitely yeah, springs, a to-do yes. when you get to Japan. And make sure you, before you come, take a moment to Google or YouTube how to use a hot spring in Japan because there's a special way to hop in, to get into the bath, right? Okay. And I do wouldn't it. want to embarrass myself doing that. That's the right. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a great idea. Just Google that before you come, and then you will be able to really enjoy it with confidence, and I'm sure well, Perhaps you can tell me what this ah. <laughs> <laughs> be something that can be said. Well, the short answer is you need to take a shower before you get in the bath. All right. You need to clean clean your body before you get in. That seems like well, a good idea. It's a great idea, actually, when you think about it. So, um, yeah, definitely check that out and I will. find out the best way to enjoy the hot springs. How about you, Catherine? Are you looking oh, forward to a hot spring? I am. It's going to be really fantastic um, heading to Beppu shortly uh, and be able to take advantage of the hot springs there. And I think there's one hot spring um, back in South Island of New Zealand too, near Christchurch where they have a Japanese style. So oh, yeah. you actually adopt, instead of say Rotorua, where you might use your swimming costume to go into the hot pool, in this place in uh, near Christchurch, you have to do Japanese style because the owners are Japanese. Mm -hmm. So just remember that between the North Island and South Island, there's even a difference with the hot pool entering etiquette. Oh, okay, yeah. So no need to bring your swimsuit with you when you come. You can leave that behind. You won't okay, need it think, in the hot, yes. hot springs. <laughs> Usually I, I bring those things with me because you never know. You never know. know. Yeah. It's good yeah. to know that in case I forget, I still can. You'll be yeah, still I'll remember the shower before I get in. <laughs> yes, definitely. Anything you'd like to ask us? Some advice about, you know, coming to Japan. You already told me about the, <laughs> uh, the bath. The bath, yeah. again, anything else about Japan and uh, the way people do business? And uh, is it very different from, you know, the Western world, your point of view? Well, have you got some business cards? Let's yes. just ask you that. Have you got business cards? Well, I have not many because these days I tend to, you know, everybody tend to use, uh, you know, not in Japan. <laughs> That's your job today. After we finish talking, get some. Get yourself some. Yeah, printed. I think I've left, but not many, maybe 20, 30. Yeah. Oh, you need 100. You'll need 100. So are still very much used. Yes. All right. Okay. okay. Yes, very there's at least yeah. 50, 60 companies joining that event that you are joining. So you, and there will be people within that. So you might have five people in one organization that you have to give each of them a card. Yeah, because now also at conferences, more of, more than people exchange, you know, you, you directly, oh. almost, you know, airdrop your, your details yes. on the mobile oh, no. phone Not to another Japan. person, oh. or you look, check the website, everybody, everything is on the web, oh. all the details. So. Japan oh. is business card, so please 
That's your this first is a go. very useful piece of <laughs> advice. Thank you. And bring and pack your suit. Don't forget to pack your suit. Yeah. Ah, that will be actually uh that will be good because I in Europe every day I went to work I was going with you know suit and tie and so on. Mm. I arrived here and a couple of times I came in a university with a suit and tie and people looked at me as if I was coming from a different planet. Yeah. Everybody was in like you know shorts and well, so I have all these suits and yes. ties that I'm not using. <laughs> Chance to bring out your beautiful Italian design suit and ties uh and bring it pocket handkerchief and yeah. bring them to bring Japan you style. will you yeah. will use oh. them don't worry Thanks. about it no, I'm, I'm glad yes that's I'm glad good to point. hear that I'm glad to <laughs> also you might like to think of a couple of uh a few little New Zealand gifts there might be something you might like to bring to give to certain people you might meet and just having a little thing, even a, a lapel pin that's got a New Zealand thing or something small, uh, food is often quite good, small chocolates or something, that you might find someone looks after you especially well. Tucking a few of those things in your suitcase never goes amiss. Thank you. Thank you. All, all just, again, not, not being a New Zealander, I'll, I'll, I'll need some advice from people what would be a good uh, little present. But yeah, thank you. Good. <laughs> yeah, especially I've heard that Whitaker's chocolate has a new high quality brand. If you bring some of that, I think that will go down very well. Or anything that's individually wrapped with extra plastic is also very good for handing out. So individually wrapped Whitaker's chocolate okay. things are very appreciated. And Japanese people do really like Whitaker's chocolate when I give it to people. They say, I thought there was no foreign chocolate that I would like. I only like Japanese chocolate, but that was really good. And so they do like that. So very good. Okay. Thank you. No, really useful pieces of advice. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to seeing you on the ground here when you get to Japan. So make sure you look for us in the crowd at the conference. And we actually got to meet G at the conference in Beppu. Have a quick listen to his takeaways from our time there together. You'll hear a slight difference in the audio quality since we recorded this in the Ryokan in Bikbu. Well, G, it's great to see you here in Japan. Yeah, great to see you too. Yeah. Welcome, welcome. Gosh, it's been a busy four days. Is it yeah. four days you've been in Japan? Yes, in, indeed four days and I loved it. It's really great so far. So what kinds of things have surprised you about Japan? Like you had some thoughts maybe before you came here, but what, what's been the reality for you? Has it been well, fun? Yeah, well, it has been fun. But one of the things that really surprised me and, and in a positive way was really the food. I loved it. And I don't know, I find it strange that there aren't so many Japanese restaurants abroad. Usually you find, you know, the sushi places, but there is much more than sushi. And it's been really a good surprise that the variety of, of things that you can find. What in particular did you like out of the food? All the fried stuff, <laughs> you know, vegetables, tempura, are really... Tempura, yeah. Yes, very, yeah. yeah, it was really nice, really nice. And also the meat, I think I had really wonderful meat. At one of the events, we had wonderful Wagyu. Uh, yes, and, and talking about events, uh, another of the impressions is that everything was quite formal, uh, you know, all the, the speeches, and there is like a ritual for doing things. And uh, maybe when you go to conferences and so on, normally it's a bit uh, less formal, let's say. And here I found that I think it was nice, no, no complaints, but I found it was a, a bit different from the conferences where I would normally go. And did you find those tips that we gave you as the wearing your suit and bringing some business cards? Yes, yes, lots of business cards, I have to say. Yeah, that was, and also the suits, I would say 99.9 .9 of people tend to wear dark suits. Yeah, I, I've seen, you know, again, everybody dressed very formal, you know, in the conference. Uh, again, much more formal than in, uh, you know, the typical conference that I would normally attend. It's good to be on the side of caution, right? Dress more formally. Oh, yeah, yeah, because it's always very easy to, you know, you take the tie off and so on. And so you can, you know, so downgrade. <laughs> I don't know if it's the right term, but you know what I mean. Whereas if you are, you know, scruffy dress, it's a bit difficult to go the other way around. Yeah, go formal and then you see and then you can, again, maybe remove your tie, you know, but, but I think it's 
better to stay on the cushion and uh, be nicely dressed. And And we hear that you're a bit of a fan of the hot springs now. Uh, Yes, that was quite an experience. And the other thing that was a bit strange for me was the, the showering before. I don't know if you can say in the Western world where you have the shower, you know, standing up, but there is this, you know, you have to sit and uh, you don't sit on, uh, let's say, like a normal chair. You sit on these very small chairs that they look out of the kindergarten. You're <laughs> squatting down. And it's, uh, it's strange because you see, you know, grown men curled on this little chair as if they had been stolen again from the kindergarten and showering. So that was quite, you can say, also entertaining, let's say, but you have to do a good job of washing yourself before you then go in the in the hot spring temperature of the water is really well at least the one where i went was really nice you know hot but not too hot and you can again then stay there talk to you know the other people and uh, yeah it's quite an experience i have to say yes again also there there is this uh, ritual on you know, the towel that you are supposed to bring wear and you know everything goes in a certain way but i think it's relatively easy to pick it up from what the other people are doing you see what they are doing and then you try to do the same and in my case it went all right <laughs> so i think it's it's not too difficult <laughs> did anything surprise you about japan that you you had in your mind before you came but when you arrived, it was it was quite different. Um, here where we are, not too many people <laughs> spoke, you know, English. And also for me, English is not the first language, as probably you can gather from the accent. But, you know, now normally when I travel, wherever you go, you know, hotels and so on, usually people speak English, you know, okay, you can have good communication. And uh, in a couple of uh, moments, we were really stuck and we had to rely on the technology, you know, Google Translate and so on, because it was really... Tricky. And uh, he said, my assumption was that, uh, you know, it would have been absolutely no problem. And, uh, you know, everybody was, you know, would have been able to speak, you know, a good English. But I would say, don't make that assumption because, again, a lot of people actually do, but then you can get stuck somewhere unexpectedly. And uh, so maybe have a plan B. Some, I don't know if you have to go somewhere with the taxi, make sure you have, you know, the address written somewhere so you can show the taxi driver where you have to go, you know, some some little things or, or make sure that you're, you know, you have network for your mobile phone if you have to, to use, uh, you know, Google Translate or anything. But be careful because those things can can happen. <laughs> and if you could sum up Japan in one word, what would that be? What comes to mind? Ooh, one word is difficult, but to me... I don't know, maybe the attention to details for a lot of things, even everything was nicely folded in the bedroom and the position of the various things that I leave them in a certain way. And then you come back and everything is is really precise the way, I don't know, the food is arranged. A lot of, uh, you know, again, a lot of attention to the detail. That is what I think is uh, I noticed, which again is a very positive thing because it's, uh, it's very nice. And also the hospitality, I think, was very, I don't know, it seems that, Again, maybe it's just my impression, but uh, I sort of felt quite welcome. You know, the guys, you know, people seem to be very helpful in the hotel to try to try to understand what you are saying and what you would like to have. And they seem to be going, you know, the extra mile to try to to, to help you with whatever you, you're, you're trying to do. And you know, when you get back to New Zealand, you need to reply to everybody that you received a business card from and say, thank you. It was lovely to meet you. Uh, that's one of the homework items for you when you get back to New Zealand. Okay, I so look forward to my to, to, to opening my email, and there will be you know ten thousand you know emails because when I've been here, I, I didn't really uh, pay a lot of attention to my inbox, and so I'm sure that there will be a lot of emails waiting for me. Yeah. Japanese people do like you following up just to say thank you. It was great to meet you, uh, and if it's someone you especially had a great conversation with that you pick up from there where to do your next piece of work or connection or relationship building. Okay. So that's another recommendation for you if you have some time to do that when you get back. No, I think it's good advice indeed. Well, I, I have to thank you for the hospitality because it has been great. And uh, again, I, I really, I really loved it. <laughs> we'll see you again, hopefully in New Zealand this time. Yes, hopefully next time in New Zealand. Okay. Right. Bye. 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 Okay, that was fun. Now let's get back to the episode. 
Well, gee, we're so happy to have you on the show today. We are going into an exciting topic, what we might call the final frontier. You know, we're talking today about outer space and we just can't believe that New Zealand and Japan are actually collaborating in the space on this space uh, and we're really super pleased to be able to have you the star of the show who is helping New Zealand really bring uh, the space to the forefront as a new industry for New Zealand and we love that also Japan is being involved there and so we can't wait to talk to you we have too many questions to ask but we hope we can narrow it down so first up though now you've answered that amazing warm-up question we're going to put your full bio into the show notes later, but tell us about yourself. How on earth did you come to be in New Zealand and what are you doing now with the Space Institute? Yeah, as, as I said, you know, before I was a bit uh, sort of unexpected because in the early years in, in the space industry and so on, you didn't hear much about New Zealand. But in the last few years, as it really come up, so going to international conferences and so on, New Zealand started to appear, had a, a decent stand, few things going on. And then I, I received uh, an email from the University of Auckland and they were telling me that they wanted to set up a, a new center, this space institute to help growing the local space sector. So it was something really sort of interesting and an opportunity to put into practice a lot of the things that I'd learned, you know, in Europe. I've been working in this sector for 30 years plus. And uh, again, in New Zealand, it was really a great opportunity. There was this uh, sort of end-to-end -end possibility because there is a, a local launcher, you know, as I'm sure you know, you know, Rocket Lab. Not many countries around the world have the capability to actually, you know, put satellites oh. in orbit and at the same time the fact that the country is relatively small you can get things done a bit in a much more agile way that uh, perhaps you could do it in europe where there is you know a huge space sector very well developed a great ecosystem but because it's so mature if you want uh, maybe agility is not the, the what you would use to characterize it. So it seemed like a great opportunity. My family was thrilled at the idea. I don't know if you realize, but New Zealand has got a, a, a great press actually around the world. <laughs> People have really a high, you know, great opinion about the country and so on. And so we were all quite curious. I came here for an interview because I was going to a conference in the US. I was already halfway through. And so they told me, well, as you are already in the US, perhaps you can do the other quarter of the globe and come and see us <laughs> so i did yeah and uh, again i, I, I like the place and, and again it was it was a great opportunity to put into practice a lot of the things that that i'd learned to make a you know a good contribution and so i said yeah let's go <laughs> wow you must be adventurous though too i mean getting an email from the university of auckland where is that you know what are they <laughs> well, why do they was... want me there was a, a, an element of that because in my position, I was the director of the Service Space Center at the time, and you receive emails from you know all over the place proposing you various things. So this was, you know, was a bit unexpected. It was you know really completely the other side of the world. But because really? I again uh, you know going to conference and so on, I saw that there were activities going on here in New Zealand, in Australia, and so on. I was curious, and uh, again you know I've been around in Europe in various places and so on. And I thought, yeah, why not? Wow. And so when did New Zealand actually start getting into the space industry? And you talked about Rocket Lab. Where, what are yeah, the when, when line we, there? Yeah, we, we heard it, you know, from, let's say we, the, I'm talking now from myself in Europe, you yes. know, maybe 2017, that is when uh, Rocket Lab actually made mm -hmm. the first, you know, launch that was a test. That is when we started hearing, you know, and then 2018, I started actually the business. So it was in those years that, you know, uh, the perception may be changed because before a lot of people had this idea of New Zealand, like mainly, you know, primary industry, very rural and so on. And instead, mm -hmm. there's a bit, bit growing realization that actually there was, a, you know, a high tech sector and, uh, you know, there is much more to the country that maybe, uh, you know, j j just was people think again, primary industry, kettles yes. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... If Rocket Lab launched in 2017, it must have been around for a while before that, though, right? So yeah, it took yeah. some time, yeah, because yeah. clearly you don't do these things in in 75 yeah. minutes. But it was great, you know. Yeah, was I mean uh, Peter Bex had really a great vision for you know New Zealand has a lot of had a lot of good ingredients. Again, the fact that from here you could launch 
and you don't have a busy sky with aircraft as you have, for example, in the US. Right. That clearly, you know, you have all the, you know, authorization. You have to stop, you know, the air traffic. Sort of, right. you know, you, you can't launch sort of whenever you want. Then in New Zealand, there was also, you know, a big industry, a composite carbon fiber and so on because of all the yachts. So that was available and, and uh, uh, Rocket Labs rocket being done in, in made in carbon fiber well, it was good that that kind of industry was already here so then the idea to use electric pumps for the for the engine some 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 little things you know various little things came together and you know he saw that the opportunity and again it took few years clearly but then i guess also the discussions with the government that then they led to the creation of the new zealand space agency because clearly you know you want to uh, launch a rocket from New Zealand, put satellites in orbit. You can't just you need an agency. Right? There has to yeah, be some you need an agency. You know, authorizations and you need laws and, and regulations. Kind of yeah, yeah. And although, then... and, and I tell you, New Zealand seems to be, you know, again quite light touch because with these things, it's always tricky. On one hand, you don't want to overregulate and then produce like a straight jacket. But on the other hand, you don't want to be, let's say, free for all. And then you have this Wild West situation. So I think that the agency did a good job to try to strike the balance between these uh, different needs. It feels a little number eight wire. Have you heard that expression before, G, about Yeah, that is something useful feel... for all the situations. Yeah. Well, I am a biker, so I have a motorbike. And I have that kind of thing because every now and then things go wrong and you have to fix Oh, yes. This kind of thing that helps in a lot of different situations. Exactly. But it just that composite carbon fiber comment, you know, we're going from the sea and the yachting industry in New Zealand yeah. to the sky and being able to produce this kind of... Yeah, uh, but, but ultimately, you know, the materials, yeah. you know, for structures, my background is in actually structures, mechanical, mechanical stuff. So ultimately, you know, you can use composites like carbon fiber to build boats or build rockets. I'm not saying that they are the, the same thing, but the basic technologies, the basic stuff is the same. So yeah. if you are, I, I don't know, a person that has been working in the yacht industry, building boats in carbon fibers, and then you have to go and build rockets in carbon fiber, yeah, you'll need to figure out a bit a few things. But, you know, the bulk of the knowledge is there. All the supply chain is there. Brilliant. Incredible. Also now, because ultimately, you know, the space sector... Is, is a relative, you know, porous, you know, you have people coming from different areas, entering, uh, you know, this sector, and then also going to work in different areas. It's very multidisciplinary, as you can mm -hmm. imagine, both on the technical point of view, but also in other areas, like, you know, I don't know, um, lawyers, uh, all the kind of things that you need, you know, to get the business going. Yeah. It's not just, you know, the technical people, the engineers, right. but also uh, all what there is around, I don't know, insurances, all the business you yes. know, it's not just the, you business know, the of technical space. stuff. You, exactly. you need much more than that. Wow. Gosh. I mean, also you work internationally because your website, we had a check of that beforehand, and it talks about working with both national and international establishments. And we heard that you've been having some really great uh, success with Japan. Japan has a multi-billion dollar space project. Uh, it's a big sector that New Zealand is collaborating with. And we know it's been going on, but we don't really know much about it. And we know, gee, that you will have that because apparently it started back at the Joint Summit uh, in 2019, just on the Rugby World Cup uh, in Japan. And, and Jacinda Ardern was here and uh, former Prime Minister, Prime Minister Abe and her had a chat, <laughs> as you do at the high level. With the, the two country bosses got together and talked about this bilateral relationship and how it could work with space and then I think that moved forward there was obviously lots of different things happening in between but in 2021 I believe an agreement was signed and Japan and New Zealand are now collaborating can you tell us more about what happened there and what's yeah. going on yeah well again first let, let me start saying that you know in the in the space sector a lot of the work is really international cooperation because although there are certain projects that are relatively small scale and now you can also do small things like CubeSats and so on within a university on your own but most of these more substantial projects are cooperations between different countries it makes much more sense because they are again large scale enterprises they need significant funding so to work together 
it makes sense all the time. And and New Zealand and, and Japan also share some, for example, some of the concerns, let's say the sustainability of the space environment, for example, the problem with the space debris before coming here, actually, I worked you know, a significant amount of time on, on in this area uh, from the UK who also launched a mission to demonstrate some of these technologies uh, for the removal of space debris. And actually some of the people that worked with me there in the UK, then ended up working from Astroscale in Japan, that is the main partner for us now in New Zealand to work wow, with. Great. But essentially, there are you know various issues, but one of the areas that is uh, still promising is, is the fact that clearly, you know, 60 years of use of space have put in orbit, you know, a large number of satellites that are doing very useful things like you know the weather forecasting uh, you know you watch satellite television you know so we all use gps you know wherever you go you go with your sat nav and so on so all this is satellite technologies but clearly a, a certain number of satellites that have been put there after you know 10 5 20 years they stop working <laughs> and they're still there so there is a significant number of debris also the the final stages of rockets that are putting in orbit these satellites and so there is a growing issue of you know, let, let's check exactly where all these debris are. There is an area of, uh, of of research where we are quite strong is, you know, space situational awareness and even, you know, space traffic management. And uh, with, with this background, then again, New Zealand and Japan can work together because in Japan, there is again, a very successful company, Astroscale, has been working a few years on technologies essentially for the removal of these uh, space debris. Because, let's say, until a few years ago, people were, you know, a bit relaxed. It's like if, you know, your car stopped working, you just leave it there and you carry on and that's it. And if there are only a few cars on the road, maybe you can do it and that's okay. But when it starts to be a bit more busy, imagine in Auckland or in Tokyo, if your car breaks down, just leave it there and carry on. Yeah. <laughs> so there is an issue and, and also, you know, a market opportunity, you can, you can say in, in uh, starting to, to remove some of these objects because you could have collisions and then the collisions mm -hmm. can produce a lot of debris that are polluting, if you want, whole orbits, mm -hmm. making the situation uh, you know, really dire. And because we want to continue to use space and rely on space technology, these issues of maintaining the sustainability of the environment, so removing you know, old satellites that are no longer working or upper stages of rockets, indeed is something that has to be, has to be tackled. And so yes. together, uh, New Zealand and, and, uh, and Japan are, are looking at these issues, and in particular, you know, the two key companies, uh, really Astroscale in Japan, Rocket Lab, but also ourselves, we have some, some contracts where we, we are, you know, on one hand, investigating various scenarios on, you know, what is the, let's say, most clever way or energy efficient way in which you can go capture some of this debris, give it to another agent that then will deorbit them. So some possible scenario. And then there is also a, actually a, a current contract between Rocket Lab and, and Astroscale, where Rocket Lab is actually uh, launching an Astroscale satellite that will do a, a demonstration of uh, getting closer to one of these uh, uh, large debris and maneuvering around, uh, checking exactly the environment to make sure that in a future demonstration, it can actually be captured and then the orbit. But as you can imagine, it's not that simple. So it, it is necessary to do some of these technology demonstration missions. And, and the area of the technology demonstration is also one of the things that we are doing here at the Space Institute, because you can have, you know, good ideas about the new technology in space and so on, but it's necessary that you check it out. Okay. And you can do all the simulations you want here on the ground and have mathematical model and testing. But the real proof of the pudding is if it works really in space. And so to do this kind of in-orbit demonstrations is really important. So there will be one next year, I think, is planned, where again, Astroscale satellite will be launched by the Rocket Lab uh, Electron rocket to, to perform again these operations. So these are the kind of things that are going on. And both countries, they are very you know, conscious about the environment, not just, you know, the, the environment here on the ground, which is clearly, you know, of paramount importance, but also in space, similarly, because all the various space agencies in the last decades have been very active in 
producing you know guidelines for all the operators to make sure that when they put in orbit a satellite, for example, after 25 years, they should have a method to dispose of this satellite. You know, collisions mm. already happened. So mm. it's not just an academic problem. It is a real thing. There is already a lot of stuff there. So we track a lot of these objects. The International Space Station periodically you know, has to maneuver to go you know, away from the trajectory of space debris. So it's, it's, a, it's a real issue now. It's no more yeah. this, uh, you know, scenario that is purely, you know, an academic thing. No, no, it's, it's right. a real thing. So we have to it's be careful. incredible. What an amazing story. And I have so many questions. I'm sure you do too, Jane. But <laughs> yeah. I just, we, one of our, we were talking about before we were talking with you was, gee, how the satellites were put up there without any return to Earth mechanism or ability to come back after their shelf life had finished yeah. up in space and we just wondered why that wasn't thought of but it seems like there may have been an excitement or energy to get everything up there and as you said nobody really thought about it because space is huge so did it really matter is that where it was coming from originally so yes yeah yes exactly because ultimately whatever you do there are always some and you say let's say like consequences and, and and risks and so on but if these are sort of negligible and minimum then you don't worry too much about right. them because otherwise you know if you want to have sort of zero risk and so on then you would never do anything but but so always people knew that well if we leave a satellite there eventually what's going to happen about that but the point right. was that again the risk was so infinitesimally small that perhaps that kind of attitude was justified again 50 years ago. Now, with the number of satellites that are being launched, you sort of, you know, every month has become much more. Uh, again, there is much more traffic now. We are thinking about you know, going there, capturing, removing them because sometimes they are in busy orbits. And as I mentioned before, if they have a collision, some of these satellites are pretty big. You know, the size of a double-decker bus. And and wow. they travel at about you know seven thousand kilometers a second, so incredibly fast. And if they have a collision, you can imagine the explosion and, and the fragments that will go everywhere, and then maybe hit other satellites. And, and so it's important to try to remove some of the most dangerous objects yes. that, that are right. in orbit. And and so wow. again, there is a good opportunity both for for uh, again New Zealand and and, and Japan to to work together at this yes. issue. Exactly. Wow. So tell us a little bit more about Astroscale. Who who are the people who work there? How many people work there? Anything that you know about from working with them that's rather interesting to share? I mean, are they, it sounds like you've got some colleagues who are in the UK who came to work for them. So Yes, exactly. Presuming... They are going back. They are going yeah. back and forth because Astroscale has got also a let's say subsidiary in the UK, but the environment there in Japan has really helped. And again, I think to see that there is a, a, a real business at the end of the road is, is is really helping, and I think this, you know, the, the one of the the potential removing of this removal of space debris, it, to me, looks like a very good opportunity. So Astroscale has been really good in taking advantage of of, of this opportunity. What is but, it about this environment that you mentioned in Japan that makes it really very very good? That's helped. What I perceive from here, and again, uh, I, next week I'm going to Japan for the first time, so I, I'm not talking as a, as an expert of Japan at all. No, but just I don't what know it much, is. But the, the perception mm. is that there is a lot of uh, sort of support, and this kind of network, people that work with each other, is maybe uh, I, I don't know the impression of people pulling all in the same direction. Right. So, mm. Both, you know, government uh, companies having sort of like a, a dialogue also, you know, all things seems to be going in the right direction. Do you see what I mean? In, I instead do. of people pulling in different directions, which is what often happens. Right. We've also heard that there's a collaboration on uh, climate change and a kind of methane gas sensing. Well, yeah, here, yeah. As, Satellite, as, 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 is Japan and New Zealand also working perhaps there or going to, planning to work in that direction as well? Well, New Zealand, as you as you can imagine, is, is quite active on, you know, the, the environment is, is important here. We have, you know, perhaps one of the most, you know, pristine environment here, unspoiled in most areas of New Zealand. So to try to preserve this environment is important. And in particular, you know, climate change and the contribution that methane is doing 
and the fact that you know New Zealand has got a lot of primary industry, a lot of you know animals that contribute to the methane emission. For New Zealand, was quite important to actually do some real steps as, as New Zealand started to work again in the international scene. Was important to show a signal of, of the commitment, so that the, the space agency decided to to partner in this um, mission that is MetaInsat, and the space institute actually is going to run the operations for the duration of this mission that should be about five years, but most probably will last uh, longer. And, and essentially, uh, the, the the satellite is actually an American satellite. The Environmental Defense Fund is the organization that, uh, let's say, lead the whole thing. But there was the desire to have, uh, let's say, like an independent organization to monitor the emissions of methane from oil and gas industries in particular, because they are significant emitters. But we know that there is also a, a strong contributions from agriculture. And this is, for example, what New Zealand is particularly interested. So although the kind of instrument that was on this satellite is particularly focused on local strong emissions, like again, oil and gas, mm -hmm. there is a lot of research work going on to see if you can actually see in the current data, these more diffuse emissions mm -hmm. that are coming from, you know, different animals spread around the field, what's going on. So although right. the instrument is not really optimized for this, we believe that there should be a way to, to identify some of these emissions, but is important. Again, you know, satellite technologies are making, you know, good contributions to our life from, you know, the SatNav to Sky TV, but also monitor the environment. And in particular, you know, with climate change, satellites give you that view of the globe that you don't really perceive when you are here on the ground, you look at your area, you look at your city, you look at, mm -hmm. but, you know, from a satellite, you can see the whole picture. And so some of the things might look much more scary. <laughs> and you see how what we do has really influenced, you know, the, the whole planet. I don't think that Japan is directly involved, but uh, we have started some, some discussions and I hope I'll have more when I go over there mm -hmm. because we share... Both countries are sort of, you know, islands. Uh, we have, you know, similar issues. We have, you know, um, rivers, coasts, you know, monitoring certain situations uh, in, in both countries are similar. You know, we have, uh, you know, active volcanoes, these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And so there might be the possibility to develop, you know, some missions together. Because as I was mentioning before, you know, in the space sector in particular, when you do projects together, in most cases, all the countries can share the benefits, but only pay a fraction of the cost. For example, right. what I mean is that if you have a satellite, you know, orbiting around Earth, this satellite is going to pass over New Zealand only for a certain amount of time. The rest of the time will pass on top of a lot of other countries. And so if you share this resource when you are, let's say, not using it, but with another country, then the other country can have almost, let's say, like full use of the asset when they need it. And so, you know, you can really share the cost and then both countries can use the asset completely when they need it. So going forward, New Zealanders who are looking at space and thinking, wow, I'd like to be part of that. What would you recommend they well, listen, I, working, I, I worked all the time across between university and industry with the fitting one foot on one side, one foot on the other one. And... Uh, uh, I have to say that because this involvement, you know, in universities and so on, I'm a great believer in, in you know, having the right education, although you can enter the space factor and people are mobile from a lot of different directions. So it's not mandatory that people follow, you know, a classic career mm. of, uh, you know, in aerospace discipline, as it could be, you know, you study aerospace engineering and then you end up working in an aerospace company and so on. That's a, quite a classic path. There are a lot of different paths. To me, that is an easier bet if you are really focused that you want to go and work in the space sector or aerospace sector. A person in studying law could then uh, do projects where uh, they investigate, I don't know, the legislative framework that there is around issuing licenses for satellites or whatever it is. So it doesn't need just to be a, you know, a technical engineering thing. Could be a lot of different type of domains and careers, 
but it, it really helps if you start to engage and understand what the problems are. Also, people that are studying in other areas of, of engineering, mechanical or electronic, you know, if they can, they can choose projects that bring you closer sort of to the sector, maybe projects in partnership with companies that are working in the sector. This is, for example, one of the things that we are doing as, as a space institute, as we try to, to grow the sector. The other thing that I always tell you know, my students is that sometimes you have a degree in aerospace engineering, but then you also discover completely different sectors. And I have even people that did PhDs with me and so on that end up working even in banking because ultimately the kind of skills that you learn dealing uh, with you know, space system, the kind of you know, the mathematical models that you develop, ultimately you can apply them to a lot of different things. So as we can have people coming into the space sector, coming from areas like you know, uh, mathematics or law, similarly, people that had this uh, maybe education in space, space technology and so on, then can go and work in a lot of different areas because they have learned sort of how to handle certain tools that then can be applied to a lot of different domains. Really interesting. And we heard, you know, on the subject of students, uh, in particular between New Zealand and Japan, we heard that the New Zealand Space Agency had applied to JAXA, right, the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, to create this the outreach program. Uh, New Zealand students could compete in international space competitions. Is that happening? And tell us more yeah, if you know about that. Yes. There are a lot of countries that are uh, participating. So it's really good for students to get out from their normal, you know, university mm. class and mm. so on and start to engage with groups from, you know, the rest of the world. And some can be, you know, competition, but it's also cooperation, understanding how other mm. people work. I can think of only a few projects in my life where it was just, uh, you know, uh, an organization doing it. In most projects, there are various organizations and various countries working together. And so the more you you learn to deal with people with different ideas, uh, different accents, but, you know, completely different approaches, you know, the, the better. Any future trends or dreams for... Space Institute that you can Well, again, I, I hope that we will manage to do a, a nice mission with uh, with Japan. In particular, again, I'm, I'm also quite keen on the, you know, environmental side, monitoring the, you know, resources, the landscape. As I said, you know, uh, New Zealand and Japan, they share a, a lot of commonalities. And, and so I, I, I hope that we will manage to find, you know, enough ground together. So, again, we can... Uh, put together a mission useful for both countries. Fantastic. Yeah. Anything. Well, thank you, you for, for, for having me in your podcast. It was a pleasure chatting with you too. Congratulations, G. You are now a jandal in Japan. Thank you. Thank you for telling us about the wonderful story <laughs> of you coming. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for telling us about your story for coming into Japan and also the activities going on between New Zealand and Japan in the space sector. We are thrilled to hear that information. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, my goodness. What a good time that was. Speaking with Professor Alietti, G, as he told us to call him. What a great guy. How lucky is New Zealand to have him wow. working I mean, there? Knowledge, his personality. What a great guy to be working with alongside. I can see how he would get on with Japanese people, too. They would love his energy. Mm-hmm. I actually sort of saw stars when I was talking with him. Um, Are you getting a fangirl? I was very fangirl. I was like this sort of, I could feel I was in space and I was had these visuals of satellites. Well, and what was happening? Mm. Yeah, I kind of got that as I was talking to him because his descriptions were really full mm. on and I loved the way he went into detail like he did. And um, it was really the G show um, and, <laughs> and Jane and Catherine were sort of tag-ons. <laughs> today but um we hope everyone really enjoyed the fact that he went into such depth and could um let us know about the amount of debris that's up there the size Mm. of satellites right and how how this has to actually happen Uh, and that new zealand and japan are collaborating on it wow yes tidy space kiwi 
be a tidy space kiwi jane yeah. god you're good yeah. with these things How do you, <laughs> i was wanting to say that them. but i was like no hang on <laughs> yeah. be a tidy space kiwi and yeah so many opportunities for new zealanders coming up you people who are or maybe you're already in an industry you could start working on projects around space if you're interested if you're already in a you're a lawyer or an engineer of some sort or something. Or you're or... someone who's doing sustainability. You're mm, you are talking right. about sustainability day in, day out. Environmental this is exactly yes. what it is. It's all about this. And I loved how he called out that there are, you know, you think New Zealand's so far away from everywhere, what a long way to go to get there. Yes, and exactly that's the the real benefit. He said it's not a busy sky. Mm. You know, in New Zealand they can do all of these things. It's got all the good ingredients. So how can you do more in that mm. area, right? Students, other people in the future. And think about ideas, Kiwis, that you can use. Look at that, that material, composite carbon fiber that works yeah. for yachts. It's working in space too. Mm. What else is there Yeah, brilliant. that can do that? And it's all about collaborations, isn't it? It's yes. not about trying to do it yourself and then... That was clear. You've got to be collaborating. And yeah, it's great to see more collaborations happening internationally. So go yeah. out there and get it, New Zealanders, is what I have to say about that. I would say that too. Oh, my mm. goodness. How amazing. Yeah, this, he, he talked a lot about supporting each other, sharing costs, using your collaborators. And there's just so much going on there that, that can be collaborated, you know, cross-pollination, uh, learning how to work together, and, you know, being able to do it at distance still online. So that's where a lot of it's happening. Mm. Wow. Did, well, what do you think about his um, tips for getting into the space industry? Like we want some more New Zealanders, young New Zealanders and young Japanese to get into this industry for our future. I thought his ideas were great because mm. you didn't have to go down the, the pure track, but also you can do that. There are other yeah. ways in, right? Mm. Law, science, medicine, not only. Food, technology, um, whatever. Yeah. Astrospace engineering, which is mm. also very good, obviously a good way to do it. I thought those were great tips as well. Brilliant. I'm really looking forward to seeing more New Zealanders taking up positions in this area of space exploration and, yeah, environmental protection of our sky. So keep an eye out for more wonderful jandals coming to you in the next episode. That's all for now. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out our guests' links in the show notes. This podcast is brought to you today by Catherine O'Connell Law and Pod Launch with Jane. If you have a great story you think should be on the show, come and find us on LinkedIn or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Mata ne.